I don't know that there's a part of the year that is more full of, um, you know, traditions than not just the, the season of Advent, uh, Christmas, or preparation for Christmas, but also uh, with Thanksgiving that we've just celebrated. There's just, you know, families and, and, you know, things that we do around this season in our homes and in our, uh, in our family traditions and certainly in our church tradition. And one of those things that we share with a lot of churches, most of you have seen this if you've been in church for any, any length of time, and that is the, the tradition of lighting the Advent wreath each Sunday of Christmas as we build toward the anticipation of the celebration of the birth of Christ and the lighting of the, of the Christ candle, which we do at our Christmas Eve services. So as we're going to participate in this each Sunday, I'm going to invite uh, Hildy Benedict to come. She's going to lead us in our reading this morning, in the first uh, reading for the lighting of the first candle. And this also in, involves a uh, congregational prayer. So you'll have an opportunity to participate in just a moment. So let me set this up for Advent means coming into the season. We prepare for the coming of Christ. One of the ways we prepare for his coming is by making an event wreath and lighting its candles to remind us of the gift Christ brings to the world. The event wreath includes many symbols and also speaks about Christ and his gift. The wreath itself is in the shape of a circle. A circle has no beginning and no end. This reminds us that there from the candles, which grow stronger each Sunday in event, reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. Today we light the candle of hope. The people of Israel hoped in God's promises and were not disappointed. Again and again, God delivered Israel from its enemies. We too have the same experience of salvation, and that is why we believe in God's promise to send Jesus to us once again to judge the world and establish his kingdom forever upon the earth. Hope is like a light shining in a dark place. As we look at the light of this candle, we celebrate the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Thank, Thank you, God, God, for the, for the hope, hope you give us. We ask yes, as yes, we, we wait for all your promises to come true and for Christ to come again, that you would remain present with us. Help us today and every day to worship you, to hear your word, and to do your will by sharing your hope with each other. We ask it in the name of the one who was born in Bethlehem. Amen. Thank you. There is another um, prayer we want to do this morning before we get into the before I get into the sermon. And that is uh, the blessing of the blankets you see before you on the altar rail. And if, again, if you've been with us for um, any length of time, you've seen these bef- uh, in the past, periodically throughout the year as uh, the blankets are made. And they're made, each blanket is made by folks either in this congregation or connected in some way to the church. In fact, before we get into that, let me see, where's Alma? Alma's over here. Is anybody else in this service that makes the blankets? 
Okay, I, I can't see well enough to see, but we have one, two. Okay, you see, I think, four hands going up. Folks that are in this, con- this worship congregation at the 815 service, there were four or five folks, I think, that, that were in that, and there'll be a few at 11 o'clock. These are the, the hands that make these blankets and, and their skills and their gifts and really their time and talents that, that are invested here into the, to the making of these. And what we do is we bless them and we pray over them because... The next step after that is if you feel led for you to take one. The idea is for you to take it to give away, to take it to somebody uh, that you know either that is in need or is is, um, struggling. These blankets, what we hope they become uh, are a tangible reminder of our love and our prayers and of God's presence. Uh, Language that we often use, it's an outward and a visible sign of an inward and a spiritual grace. And so we bless these. We invite you to take them. Some of them are baby blankets to, to be given to parents or grandparents of, of newborns or young ones. Uh, but the other, and the others are for those who, who just are in need of prayer and blessing. And so you're invited after worship to take one. And I always say, if you really feel you need one, then you take it for you. But, but even more important, take one and, and give it away. And on the, the, there's a big map here in the gathering place where we gather and have snacks and things between services. If you've not noticed, the big map on the wall. And we've invited people to take pins and to stick a pin where a blanket has been sent or delivered. And you not only see where they've started to, where they've gone throughout the United States, but even as far away as Japan, one of these blankets have been sent and, and other parts of the world. And so you, we begin to see the way that the body of Christ works and the way God's blessings spread. And uh, you're invited to do that. So we're going to pray a blessing on these blankets. And, um, and then we're going to uh, invite you, uh, after, when we take communion this morning, you're invited to come and to bless, pray over them. But certainly after worship, you'll be invited to take one. So let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for what these blankets represent for us and what you do with them. I thank you for the hands that have, have crafted them, for the talents and the gifts and the time that, that is lovingly invested in these. I thank you for the hands that will take them today, each hand that will grab one and, and take it with, with someone in mind. And we, we pray for those who will, in time, hold a blanket, that they will be a reminder of prayers and of love that is being lifted up for them. And it'll be a reminder of your presence, your hope, which we celebrate today, and the gift of Christ in all times, who is present in all places. So Lord, we ask your blessings on this ministry, this outreach, this act of love, and we just trust that your hand will guide each blanket to where you would want it to be. We pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, we are in um, 1 Thessalonians. Today, if you have um, your Bible, let me say real quick, I forgot to say that. Where's Janie? Where's Janie? Happy birthday, Janie. It's Janie's birthday today. I was told that this morning, and I forgot to, to share that, so we lift that uh, as a happy birthday. We are, um, we're in the, the, the letter of Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3 this morning, and um, I shared in the first service as we lead into this first Sunday of Advent, and you know, for me every year, and, and I am a broken record, and I confess that because uh, I say it every year. It feels like the season of Advent, the time of preparation for Christmas, this this season, both in the 
sense of our, our celebration as, as Christians, but in the secular celebration, it just feels like it just kind of hits us like a tidal wave. I mean, we just get through Thanksgiving, and I'm on the side of Christmas decorations don't go up until Thanksgiving meal has been eaten. So I'm in that place. We don't do that until um, because we believe in being um, biblically faithful, and that's the way God wants it to be. And um, I made that up, just in case you're worried. Um, but uh, it just feels like it just comes so fast, even though we know it's coming. And the season is, is so busy, and it can really, I mean, it can kind of rob our joy if we're not careful. And, and I say this for me, because I, I can very easily, and I'm not even going to look at my family right now, um, I, I, can, I, I can fall into the kind of Christmas Grinch mode, um, because it's so busy. And, and we, yesterday, we put up our Christmas decorations and we're doing this, the lights on the tree, and the last string isn't working properly, and it's not. We have to run out. We had to run out to Target. We had to run out to Target, and you know, you just kind of get into it. And I just realize how busy and frantic, and you know, just exhausting it can feel. What's that? Why did we go to Target? There was a there's a story behind that. I can't get into. Just there was a reason. Let me let me just leave it at there was a reason we went to Target. Um, don't ask questions. It's my time. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but th- but I'll tell you later. There's a story behind that too. I can't tell all my stories in now, or I won't have some for later. Um, but uh, but so we we do that, and and I just uh, I just. I realize how easy it is to kind of get caught up in that. And so this morning, as we were kind of frantic before worship, my prayer, my prayer became during that first service. And I, and I kind of, I'm, I'm praying throughout worship, when we worship. I'm, I'm asking God to just kind of speak into some of the things I bring in. We all bring our stuff in here on a Sunday morning, and I do too. And so my prayer has been, slow me down. Lord, slow me down. Just, just help me to, to the, let this place be a sanctuary in the sense of a place of God's presence, of God's um, protection, of, God's, um, of hearing God's voice, and just allow it to be a place to, to slow down a little bit. And so this isn't just for today. This is for this entire season. In as much as I am going to try, and I'm going to challenge you that when we come in here, especially we can let some of that stuff go. At least for an hour, let it go. There's some stuff we can't, some stuff that is, that is really that we're really struggling with, and we need to bring that in with us to lay before God. But some of it we can just leave at the door and just, just drop it as we come in. And so I, that's going to be part of my prayer. I share that with you because I feel I'm probably not the only one. Some of you are very, very good at finding your calm in the midst of the, the chaos. And, and boy, I could learn from you. Absolutely could learn from you because that's an area I need some work. So as we enter into sermon, into this time of, of the sermon, to the scripture reading, uh, but always throughout worship, we just pray, kind of God, where we need to slow us down, slow us down a little bit, and let's embrace the holy of the season, um, not just the, the holiday festivities of the season. All right? Now, let's go to scripture. We turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning at verse 6. These words that, that Paul writes there to the church in his letter to the church, this is what he says. He says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you 
and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Lord, speak to to our hearts. Increase in us. And, And Lord, that, that we would decrease, that you would increase your Holy Spirit at work in our lives and calling us to faithfulness and obedience. Lord, help us to hear this morning, to have hearts that are open to your Holy Spirit and your voice as you'd speak and challenge us to greater obedience and faithfulness. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I think it may be a... A truth of life, a, a quality of life, a, a reality of life, if you will, that as we grow, as we develop, as we become more proficient at things in our lives, whether it be um, skills, whether it be relationships, whether it be education, that as we grow and become better, in areas of life that matter to us, we simultaneously often feel more inadequate. That as we become more skilled, we also simultaneously feel more inadequate. Let me tell you what I mean. Simple lessons of life. When we were children, five, six, seven years old, and we first learned how to ride a two-wheel bicycle, you know, mom, maybe mom or dad or somebody kind of pushed you on the bike and you learned how to ride a bike. No sooner do you learn how to ride a bike and you become confident in that that you see a friend who knows how to pop a wheelie. <laughs> you know? And now there's something else you can't do. And as we go through school and you, you finally figure trigonometry out, you figure that dag-blasted math out, and then the next thing you know, you're faced with calculus. You know, there's always the next thing in our, in our lives, maybe in your career, maybe you got an education, you got a, a degree in something, and no sooner do you get a degree that you find out you have to get another one. And, and, and it goes on, and we, we, we progress, but in some ways, I think the further we progress, the further the finish line seems to us to where we want to be. As, and, and the more it matters to us, the more we'll experience that. As a parent... For, for every day that I'm, I'm patient and, and, you know, available and, and the kind of father that I should be, I can name so many more days it seems like I'm impatient and humorless and, and irritable. 
you know, because I know who I want to be, and I, became, I become painfully aware of, of how short I follow that. And sometimes we become aware of that, I think, very often because we intrinsically know it. Sometimes people point that out to us. Uh, and, and I say that because sometimes we need voices in our lives to point that out to us. Not everybody needs to point that out to us. But there are voices we need to hear. There's a writer for the New York Times that years ago talked about that nothing made him um, as mad as when his wife pointed out to him that he wasn't helping out around the house when he wasn't helping out around the house. You hear that? He said nothing um, was as infuriating to him as he said. He wrote, nothing is as infuriating when somebody points out our faults and they are right. Okay, you know, that, 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 that and, and Tony will tell, that, that becomes one of my, I, I just, I hate it. I become so defensive and angry when Tony points out things, and I know she's right, you know. And, and, and I don't say that she points them out in a, in a judgmental kind of way, but sometimes, as I said, we need people in our lives, and, and spouses sometimes are really good at this, that say, hey, you know, you need to kind of check yourself. And you need to be aware. And I know what she's thinking right now. And again, I'm going to look over here. So, um, <laughs> so, so, so that happens. And, and the, the things that, that matter most to us are the things that, that we become most aware of that. You know, if we walked out right now out into the parking lot and somebody popped the hood of a car and said, all right, um, you know, how would you fix problem A or problem B? I'm not going to be able to tell you. I mean, I can check the oil. I can, you know, I can do very, very surface-level things, but that's, that's not my skill. I don't, and so if you said, well, you started to make fun of me because I can't repair a, a car engine, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, well, that's, that's not something that I've invested any of my life in learning. I'm okay with that. Some people, some of you are good at that, and I thank God for you because I need you. But that's not me. But on a, on a, during a week when I will sometimes put on the, the recording of the sermon on a Sunday morning and listen to it. I cringe. I cringe. Because I know that this is something I believe God's called me to do. I believe God's given me this gift. And I listen to it, and I hear every mistake I make. I hear every sentence that didn't go the way that I wrote it. I hear every thought I wish I'd completed. I hear every, every truth I wish I'd spoken. I hear what I wish I'd done, not what I did. And I feel even further away from being what I want to be and who I want to be. And, and I know I'm not alone. You do this, too. I live with a musician. I'm around musicians who have talents that I don't begin to, to uh, have. And I hear the way they evaluate themselves. I hear the way Ryan does. We'll go to a, a, a recital, and he'll play, and we'll think it's perfect, and he'll get in the car and be like, oh, I missed that note. Or ah, I didn't do that the way I wanted to. Because he's, he's looking at it differently than I am. You do this. I know you do it. Most of you do it, at least, in your own life. The, the more important it is to us, the more it matters to us, the more we very often feel inadequate in, in our living into it. And so there becomes, and, and the irony is sometimes it's the very thing that others appreciate the most about us. You know, again, let me go back to, to our musicians. That's what so many of us admire about them. They'll be very self-critical, but yet we, we hear how good and talented they are. We love it, and yet sometimes they will feel like they're lacking in that area. That's the way we all are. And so there's this tension in our lives between loving and lacking over the same things. 
You know, people will say, you're so kind and patient. They'll love that about you. And, and inside you feel, but I'm so impatient and irritable all the time. And so there's this constant tension. And how do we wrestle with that tension? What voice do we need to hear in that? Well, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, and, and he, was, he kind of addresses in his words and in this example of, from his letter this kind of tension between loving and lacking. What's happened is, Paul, in his ministry, if you're familiar with the New Testament, and Paul, who wrote the letter, you know that Paul suffered a lot for his faith. Paul was imprisoned and beaten and eventually executed, martyred for his faith. And, and he stands strong. He's such a powerful and towering example of faithfulness and obedience in the face of whatever it may be. Uh, he's that kind of example. He held fast to his faith. Well, the Thessalonian church, or the church in Thessalonica, is starting to face some of that same persecution. This is an infant church, a, a, a new church. And, and they're starting to face persecution. And Paul's worried about them because he's afraid that in the face of the persecution and the criticism and the attacks they're receiving, that their faith is going to weaken, their faith is going to wane, they're going to wander from Jesus. And that's his fear. And so Timothy goes to the church. And he comes back and he gives a report. And this is what Paul addresses there at the very beginning. He says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He says, Timothy is coming back and he's reporting to us how strong you're staying, how faithful you are staying in the face of it all. And, and so it becomes words of love. And in these next few verses, Paul exhibits some of the, the nature of love, not the, the all-encompassing nature of love, but you start to see what love looks like and some of the character of love as he talks about the church. He says, for instance, throughout the letter, there's these words of encouragement, over and over, these words of encouragement that Paul speaks to the church. Here, here verse 7 again. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now, which would you hear? That's an attaboy. That's what that is. That's a pat on the back is what Paul's saying. You are standing firm. You're being strong in the faith and you're strengthening us. You're blessing us because of what you're doing. In fact, in, verse, or in chapter 1, I think verse 7, he says to the church, you are an example to all the churches of Macedonia. You're the light. You're, you're the example they look to. And, and that is just the important lesson of, the, of speaking words of encouragement, of, of lifting people up, of, of highlighting their strengths and their, their talents and their blessings and the way that you're blessed by others. I mean, that's, we all need that. We all need that. I, if you are the kind of person that doesn't need anybody to appreciate you or to, to pat you on the back or encourage you, if you're that person, let me know because I'd love to know how you do that because some of us need it more than others, but the reality is I think we all need from time to time a pat on the back. I, I saw uh, a video going around. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, and I, I don't remember the teacher's name. I don't even remember what it was, but he's a teacher of a special needs class. Do you remember where, where that was? Do you, it, it's, it's been on um, social media. And it's a special needs class. And he begins every day by bringing the students to him one time. Some of you have seen it. Bringing the students up one at a time. And he just speaks words of affirmation. You are a great student. 
you are doing so well. I am so glad to have you in my class. He does this for each student one at a time, and they come, and he just speaks into, and these are what, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, and just telling them how wonderful they are and how much he's blessed by them. And what's neat is they start doing it back to the teacher. They start saying the same words of affirmation to him. We, we need that. And that's what Paul does. He, he speaks these words of encouragement. Man, I'm so thankful for you. Man, I am blessed in my endurance in Christ for what you're doing. So he speaks words of encouragement. The second thing he does is he speaks words of thanksgiving. Words of thanksgiving and praise. We just came out of Thanksgiving holiday where we all celebrate by gorging ourselves on turkey or whatever your tradition is. That's fine. Paul wants us to... Once a church, if, if you will allow me to kind of use that illustration, to feed on his words of, of thanksgiving for what God is doing through them. He goes on in verse 9. He says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? How can we thank God for you? How can we thank God enough for you? Even in the midst of really rough circumstances, bad circumstances in his life, Paul lives into what he would later say in this book, in all things give thanks. And I say all the time, and not saying for all things give thanks, but in all things give thanks. We thank God for what he's doing through you, even in the face of the hardships you're facing. So, so he, he speaks into this church these words of encouragement. He speaks into the church words of thanksgiving for their faithfulness and their obedience. And then he covers them in prayer. He absolutely covers them in prayer. Beginning, continuing in verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. We pray that we may see you again. Then he goes on in verses 10, 11, I mean in verses 11, 12, and 13 to pray for their love that would overflow, to pray for their strength that they would hold fast. He bathes them in prayer. And so in these just verses and throughout Thessalonians, you kind of just, you can hear this love that Paul has. And, and here's the tendency that we'd have in reading that. The tendency I have, you read that and we think, man, this is a church, this is a people, this is a group of Jesus followers that they've got it all together. I mean, they have got it figured out. They are, they're, they're, obedient. they're, they're what we want to be. They're what we aspire to be. If we could only be like them, we'd have all our problems figured out. Now, that's our human tendency, right? You know, we look at others, whether it be other families, whether it be other careers, whether it be other churches, and we think, man, if we just be like them, it'd be all perfect. It'd be Camelot. Well, Camelot doesn't exist. Because I want you to hear what Paul says in the middle of that. There's a phrase that he throws in, that if you, if you read that text in light of these things, of Paul's encouragement, of Paul's thanksgiving, of Paul's prayers, of, of Paul's praise for them, it seems radically out of place. But here, the words that I kind of skipped over. He says, night and day, verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Hear that? Supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, I wonder whether Timothy came back from Thessalonica and said, Paul, they're really holding fast. They're doing great. But boy, they, they're, they're really struggling with feeling like they're being who they're supposed to be. They're really struggling in the face of this. They're trying, and, and they feel like they're inadequate. I don't know that that's what, what Timothy said, but I wonder. But Paul, in the midst of this love embodied encouragement and thanksgiving and prayer, 
recognizes and he says something that's true for them, that's true for us. You still have further to go. You're still not there yet. And the reality is Paul says that to them because he knows it's true of his life. Earlier he says, we're, we're, you are, are, he, he praises them because they're becoming imitators of Paul and Timothy and of those disciples. Well, Paul says that I press on toward the goal. He writes to the church, I press on toward the goal of the higher calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, why does? Because a few words before that he says, because I haven't attained it yet. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not where I want to be. This is Paul, the man who suffered for Jesus, the man who witnessed for Jesus no matter what the circumstances were, the man who would not renounce his faith in the, or his faith in the face of all sorts of persecution. And Paul says, I'm not there yet. Paul understood the feeling of inadequacies that so many of us wrestle with in our faith and in our lives and in our families of just feeling like we're just not where we ought to be. And the truth is we're not. We're not. I'm not and you're not. But don't hear that as words of condemnation. Hear that as words of encouragement. What Paul does is he would say to the church, you're right, you're not. But don't beat yourself up for that. Hear God speak words of encouragement and affirmation and thanksgiving and blessing into your life. Many of us need to start with, with that ability to hear God speak into us and say, yeah, we're not where we want to be. There's still miles to go. But you're doing well. You're growing. You're striving. You're moving. You're more now than you used to be. And you'll be more tomorrow than you are today. But, but too often, we, we allow the voices of self-defeat, of self-loathing, of, of self-criticism to become the dominant voices in our ears. And we need to still those. I mean, there are times that, that we need to be rightfully challenged, but, but we need to not allow that challenge to become defeating. And I think just too many of us, uh, we, we, just, we focus on the inadequacies rather than hearing God's word of affirmation. And so Paul speaks words of affirmation. We need to hear that. I, I find it fascinating that he doesn't start with what's lacking. He starts with what's abundant. And he moves to the challenge to keep growing. In fact, he involves himself in the process. He says, I want to come to you so I can be the instrument God can use to supply what you need. Not just on your own. Let me be a part of that. So we need to hear that. But here's the second challenge in that. We need to speak that. We need to speak that to others. I think for many of us, we, we fall easily into the critical mode. When there are others in our lives, because there are people in our relationships, in our circles, in our families, in our church, who are lacking. Well, here's the rally. We're all lacking. But, but we see acutely people in our lives who, who are falling short of what we think they need to be or, or where we think they need to be. And you may not necessarily be wrong. And God may be using you as a person to help them grow. But how do you do that? For too many of us, we fall into a critical spirit, into a, 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 a tendency to immediately point out, point out the shortcomings. Yet Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't deny it, but he didn't start there. Rather, he uses God's call in his life to build them up, to encourage and praise and pray over them. And, and it challenges me to, to think through how do I help build others up? 
When I see others in my ministry, when, when we struggle as a family, and I see Ryan or Cassie, or, or they see me as falling short, how do I help them become what God wants them to be? And we need to kind of check sometimes the, the criticism and start with the, the praise and thanksgiving. About four, five, I guess it would have been about six years ago, the last year that I helped coach um, football. Ryan was playing football, and I was one of the coaches. I've talked about this before. And we were out one day practicing. There was a kid on the team who was a good football player. But um, he just wasn't, he wasn't getting it done. He wasn't, he wasn't giving the full effort. He, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't living, he wasn't playing into his potential, all right? And so I, I was, I was kind of riding him. I was, I was just riding him. I was coaching him the way I was coached, and I was coached in a, um, I was not coddled when I played football. It was, coach would kind of get up in your face. And so I wasn't, I mean, these are 10 and 11-year-olds, so I wasn't getting up in his face, but I was, <laughs> I, don't, I was, I was kind of pressing, I was riding him, I was trying to, to kind of just hammer the point home that he needed to step it up. One of the other coaches looked at me and said, Chris, he said, he's not going to respond to that. He said, he's not going to respond to that. He said, encourage him. Encourage him. Lift him up. And, uh, and start to build him up. And I'll confess to you, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I needed to hear that. But I needed to hear that. And all of a sudden, everything changed. I, so much so that everything that moment changed in the way that I coached those kids. Because... I checked that tendency to start with criticism into the start with the encouragement, the praise. And it's amazing what a difference that makes. And it's true of 10-year-olds, and it's true of 80-year-olds, and everybody in between. We need to allow God to speak into our lives where we feel inadequate, his words of love. And we need to speak that to others. That becomes our challenge. There is a tension between loving and lacking. Too often we just see what we lack, but allow God to tell us what he loves, and then let's echo it in the lives of others. Let's pray. Lord, that we would be instruments of your, your Holy Spirit. That we'd start with learning to hear from you as you speak into our lives and, and challenge us and move us forward in obedience and faith, but also affirm us in, in our discipleship in our growing, in our becoming. And then, Lord, help us to do that for others, to, to hear, to receive, and then to be. That's the challenge of our faith and the truth of your call in Christ. And we give you all thanks and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen.